0: Welcome to Academic Medicine Leadership Lessons, brought to you by the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. On this podcast, we speak with leaders in academic medicine about a variety of leadership topics. And now, your host, Dr. Surya Carter-Sacosia.
1: All right, so today we have Dr. Jake Perneski, who will be sharing with us his top tips for presentations. This should be a lot of fun, Jake. So, Dr. Jake Perneski, is an associate professor in family and community medicine and the assistant dean for clinical learning at the Medical College of Wisconsin at the Central Wisconsin campus. He's a member of STFM Medical Student Education Committee and also represents STFM on the steering committee of the America Needs More Family Doctors, 25 by 2030. And in addition, he serves as a liaison to the AFP Commission on Education. All that said, we have the best for you today. Welcome, Jake.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Why don't we jump right in? I'd be curious, what are some of your lessons learned in your earliest days of your presenting, and perhaps along the way as an advanced presenter and lecturer?
0: Sure. I think all of us have had experiences throughout school, from grade school on through high school, maybe in college and beyond. And we have teachers who are excellent and those who are less so. And we bend to presentations that are excellent and those that are less so. And I think for most of us, our earliest lessons come from those experiences and what resonates with us. I think once I became an educator, a teacher myself, it was a matter of going back to those experiences and trying to intentionally figure out why I like some more than others and why some were more effective than others. One of the more powerful instructors I had was a teacher by the name of Jim Pasalt in high school. And at a time when most of the teachers ran stuff from a textbook or an established curriculum, he lectured in a way that I now recognize as how college professors lecture. And his presentations were always powerful, they were colorful, they were narrative and story driven. And I feel like I retain that information so much better because of it. And I think he was one of the more formative instructors I had in my early uh, early uh, days of learning how to uh, become a good educator.
1: That's great. Sometimes it's those early inspirations that keep coming back as a voice in our head so that we can use them to improve in the work that we do. And as you said, Jake... There are some that we listen to that we're engaged in and we're drawn to and others less so. So I'm curious, as a constant learner, what are you currently working on to tweak or enhance your presentation capabilities?
0: Mm-hmm. So when I was growing as an educator, I received some tips on effective presentation, things like knowing your audience, knowing the room, matching the presentation to the need, and just the need to show up Prepared, I think some of the emerging science that's really interesting are things around the psychology of how we learn. Um, there's two books that have come out within the last decade or so: "Brain Rules" by John Medina, and another one called "Clear and to the Point" by Stephen Kosslyn, that look at how we as human beings learn, what captures our attention, and using those principles of psychology to become a more effective presenter.
1: I appreciate you sharing those resources. I'm going to have to write those down and look into them myself. Again, as presenters, we like to constantly work on our style because I find that if you try to be something that you're not, it just doesn't come across necessarily as genuine. Have you ever tried a tip or trick that didn't work but may work for someone else? Any suggestions about that? Yeah, I
0: think one of the things to keep in mind is it's less about me as a presenter than what I'm trying to accomplish. And so I think it's really important to remember that the focus of a good presentation is actually the audience, not the instructor. And So for me, knowing my audience is absolutely critical. What is it that's gonna help me establish a connection with that audience? What is it that's gonna help me attract and keep their attention? So arriving, knowing what they might already know is important and then coming up with a hook or something that's gonna capture their attention early on is key. I've gotten tips for things to do and things not to do And I've tried some work and some don't. I think ultimately for me, it's about being authentic to myself, uh, speaking from my heart and trying to convey the material I want to convey. But more importantly, is actually knowing my audience and bringing to the presentation what's going to meet the audience's needs.
1: That's an excellent thought, and one I think we often forget as we are preparing for presentations. That can be one of the greatest downfalls of not recognizing your audience. Can you share an example with us? What are some of the stories that you might share with a particular audience or where you would perhaps focus on what matters most to them?
0: Mm -hmm. So as an example, I've been to presentations with clinicians and or or i'm doing a presentation with uh for an audience of clinicians and if the presentation focuses on people who have a different role within the health system it really falls flat so an example that many docs can resonate with is required electronic health record training so there's a certain set of things that the physician needs to use within the electronic health record If that physician's asked to do training for what their MA might do or their nurse might do, it really falls flat because it's at the wrong target. Um, Likewise, I've been to presentations for medical educators, and someone will come in and do a presentation about a health systems focus or an initiative um, not understanding or respecting the role of the educator. And so even though the talk is important, the talk may be relevant to that person's life in another domain. If the focus is around education, it's going to fall a little bit flat or be less effective than it might otherwise be.
1: That's a great point. Whenever you think of who needs to be educated and how we are educating, who's delivering that message, that certainly is something that we need to consider. Now, as physicians. We get asked to speak to our community, whether it's a flu outbreak or something that has happened locally. We're asked to speak on the spot. Have you had any of those examples? How does that modify your message when you're talking to a more general or lay audience? What do you do differently, still being the expert as the family physician, yet you may communicate that to someone that is not at the same educational level, but more of a community-based discussion?
0: Sure. And it's not even just an education level, it's a a health literacy level. So you could have very highly educated people, lawyers, uh, professionals, PhD researchers, um, who have a different level of health literacy. I think there's there's a a principle in emergency communication. It's called SOCO, Single Overriding Communication Objective. And I think it's really important if you're asked to speak on the spot to stick to the key point or the main message that you want to convey, and to use language that is simple and straightforward. So again, use language that's simple and straightforward, stick to the key point, it will help your audience understand. As physicians, we have a tendency to use jargon, to speak in acronyms, to abbreviate things in ways that only other physicians are going to understand. And I think we forget that our patients and the average person in the community lacks that view of the world or lacks that perspective and often lacks that language. And we drop into using acronyms and abbreviations that can be uh, challenging. I think we also run the risk of scaring people. Um, And if as a presenter, you can step back and go, what is it I want to convey How can I effectively convey that? That's really, really important.
1: Mm -hmm. As the professional, we sometimes sense the need to impress. And what I hear you saying is keep it simple, be direct, and give them the message that they need and want to hear. I love what you said about health literacy. That is so critical. You're absolutely right. Education may not necessarily connect to their true health literacy and how they receive the information or the message you're trying to convey. Thank you for that.
0: Yeah, really being clear and straightforward is important.
1: Absolutely. Excellent. So then I'm going to ask you, as we're trying to be clear, we heard to avoid the ums and the rights and the language, or maybe looking up in the sky or looking down as some of the things we do. What are some of the suggestions you have for some of the things that we should do or not do when you're giving a presentation?
0: I think there's a number of things that can be helpful. If it's a a presentation that has slides, attending to the slides is really important. Make sure your font is readable and readable from the back of the room by people of all ages. I think using graphs rather than tables, anything that is so complex you need a laser pointer is too complex. And avoiding animation, it's distracting and makes it hard for people to follow. I think watching the audience is really important, not just to build rapport, but also to see all of their nonverbal communication. You can be a witness to your own presentation and get a sense for whether the audience understands what you're talking about or not. And I think I'm always ready to be prepared, or prepared, ready to go off script. If the audience looks like they're not understanding, I wanna try to assess that quickly and alter my presentation to make sure I'm meeting them where, where they're at.
1: Great advice. In fact, it sounds to me like that is stage advice from an experienced presenter. Some folks get a little nervous. They have to go away from their notes, but relaxing a little bit and having those conversations while picking up those essential cues. I think that's where, what I hear you saying. It really engages the audience more than just making sure you cover every slide and every point written on those slides.
0: Exactly. And I think this is where practice and knowing ma- your material well is really important. If you're really confident and comfortable with the knowledge or the ideas you want to convey, it allows you to be a much more relaxed and conversational presenter, and it allows for Witnessing, engaging the room, and then improvising as as you need to. I think there's also importance in in your presentation in terms of energy, enthusiasm, and style. Um, but it's not just about being big or dynamic. It's about your body language and capturing attention. And I think you know, thinking about your room layout whether you're behind a podium, are you leaning on a podium, are you leaning into the audience or wandering around the room? All of these things are important. I think also varying how you speak. Silence can be very powerful, varying your pitch or tone or pace, speaking faster all of a sudden might capture someone's attention, and then a pause for people to listen, I think is key. If you have the the old uh, peanuts in structure, kind of this monotonous monotone at the front of the room, pretty soon your entire audience is falling asleep or not paying attention.
1: So true. I think that has probably happened to all of us at some point in our career, and hopefully we pick up from that and learn from feedback. And speaking of which, for those that are perhaps not as comfortable speaking in front of a large room of people, what do you suggest for those who would rather die than public speak for being forced to be in that position?
0: I mean, one option is just not be in that position. And I think many people do have that level of control or could take it. I think practice is important. And so the more you practice and the more you practice well, the better you get. I think videotaping yourself can be really valuable. You can review and watch and revise your presentation based on that video. And I think you can also practice in front of a mirror or practice in front of one friend or two friends in a way that's maybe a little bit less intimidating intimidating then presenting in front of a large room.
1: Insightful advice. So Jake, tell me, when you're in the middle of a talk, and let's say the lights go out, the computer stops working, and suddenly there's the blank screen, or there's trouble with the voice coming through, what do you do? How do you not panic? What are some suggestions that you could give our audience?
0: Sure. This is a super common challenge. I think knowing the room you're in, knowing the technology you're using, and planning and preparing ahead is is critical testing the sound system um, if there are remote attendees making sure the remote connections work well making sure your projector or prompt screen uh, is working having um, things in place before the presentation itself is critical I think whether you use your own laptop or a laptop provided from you or some other uh, device is key I think if the if the mic goes out or the sound goes out, if it's brief, uh, usually you can work that into the presentation and just keep rolling. Obviously, if it's a more extended period of time, you may need a backup plan. Um, I've had the power go out. I've had the fire alarm go off. Um, we actually had to respond to a crisis within our hospital system once and simply ended the lecture. And, and in that case, it was pretty straightforward. It was like, this is an emergency. Something's come up. I apologize, but I need to step away. We'll pick this up later. And, you know, I was able to to exit reasonably gracefully, or at least as much as you can in that situation. I think preparation ahead of time is important. And for things that are critical, it's really important to have backup systems. So I have multiple ways to connect. I can connect over the internet, I can connect by a landline, I can connect by my cell phone. And if I have a critical conversation coming up, I want to make sure that all of those methods are available. So the plan might be, I'm going to connect using a web-based interface. If that doesn't work, here's my landline, and I'll have the landline at the other end that we could connect by phone. And if both of those fail, I have my cell phone to try to make sure that If there's a technology failure on the one hand, at least we have a way to connect to uh, continue the conversation. If something like that happens at a conference, if you're in a room with 500 people, I think you just step back and let the conference staff (laughs) take things over. That's, you know, their area of expertise and uh, go from there.
1: I like it. I like it. Smart suggestions. So what I heard you say is keep calm and think about your backup systems that you have available to you. And the audience will be looking in your direction to consider if we keep going forward or if we take a pause. But still, it's important staying in control of the situation. After all, you're the expert. Sounds like you are cool as a cucumber.
0: I think it probably helps. Uh, You know, one of the advice, one of the bits of advice I got from one of my medical directors very on in my career was that that there are no administrative emergencies. Um, And it it may not be 100% true, but by and large, it is. If I'm giving a presentation and it fails or ends or falls apart, for the most part, people don't get hurt. It's not the same as caring for a patient patient in a touch-and-go situation in the hospital where someone may die. Um, you know, And I think just recognizing that and... You know, sessions come and sessions go and things happen and that's all right. And uh, and we pick up the pieces later. And I think having a little bit of uh, grace in those situations is, is well received by everyone.
1: Spoken like a true expert. Thank you so much, Jake. I'm wondering if you have any additional tips or further thoughts about giving effective presentations or anything you'd like to add for the audience.
0: Sure. I think one of the things I, I touched upon but didn't mention In much detail is is making sure that your presentation matches the need. So finding out what the audience already knows. If it's something where you have expectations of them ahead of time, making sure that your expectations regarding any preparation or pre-reading are reasonable. Um, And then thinking about ways to connect or engage with your audience. I think if you're using slides or props or pictures making sure that they're congruent or lined up with your presentation and importantly, no plot twists. So for an effective presentation, you wanna tell people what you're gonna tell them, then actually tell them and then summarize. This isn't like the usual suspects or the sixth sense. You don't want a massive plot twist or a got you at the end that will leave people confused and wanting to start over. So making sure that you have clear and shared expectations with your audience up front is really important. And then leaving sufficient time for questions or follow up when it's appropriate.
1: Well, again, thank you, Dr. Pernuski, for your advice and your wise words. I've no doubt that our audience will benefit from your suggestions and tips that you gave. And thank you so much for your time today. It really was a pleasure spending time on this podcast with you talking about effective presentations and how to get your message across, regardless of the audience, such as keeping it simple and staying focused.
0: Excellent. I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much.
1: You've been listening to Academic
0: Leadership Lessons. This podcast is produced by the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine visit us at stfm.org and follow us on Twitter at stfm underscore fm. This podcast is copyright Society of Teachers of Family Medicine 2020.